All right, well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Saba NC podcast. Today, I'm excited to have another guest, Jagdeep Seko, who's a 3L at UC Hastings Law, who has done venture capital work at, at a big law firm. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks, Jagdeep, for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to share your experience and hopefully answer any questions that a bunch of law students may have while they're navigating their law school experience. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to use this podcast, especially for our listeners who are in law school, might be thinking about law school, or, or might even be freshly out of it, just to get a perspective from a student who's actively going through it. Uh, it would be nice to actually hear about you, your podcast as well and see if we could talk about that a little bit, anything you've learned through that process. Yeah, so I started my podcast, let's see, um, when COVID really hit, because I had extra time and Honestly, being a person of color in law school, I was, um, I transferred school. So I was in a school in Seattle. I was at UW and it wasn't diverse. It was really just like one type of person. And I felt like it was really hard for me personally to navigate that experience, being a first generation student, being from the Bay Area, which is super, super diverse. And I felt like this was my way of kind of just like giving back to people. So I try to do them every week. Sometimes I take breaks in between because obviously if you're listening, law school is really, really hard. And, you know, having extra curriculums on top of that can make it even harder. But I do love to talk about issues about being a person of color, just how to find jobs, interview tips. And so if anyone's ever interested, you can check it out. It's called Brown Girl Power. It's on Apple and Spotify and all the places. You can Google it and find the various streaming um, platforms. And I'll make sure to put that link in the description of our podcast as well, so everyone can take a look and listen to that. I know you've had lots of different episodes on all sorts of different topics about law school, but you mentioned law school is really, really hard. So that, that kind of brings me to my next question. What makes law school so difficult that you kind of need to implement survival tactics and good habits and friendships? What makes it so hard? Yeah, and I think that just has to do with the immense pressure that's on students. So. I think a lot of us went to like really big undergrads with thousands of students in our incoming class. And now you're in a situation where you have maybe 100 to 160 students, maximum 300. I'm at Hastings and I think that's kind of like where our incoming class is at. So you're with these people every day, right? And these people are the top of their class. They are, you know, the smartest of the smartest. They have experience. Some of them are older students. So they've been like, they have jobs, have experience, and you're now thrown in this environment with them, which means you're like looking at them and thinking to yourself, am I even good enough to be here, right? Like I may have gone straight from K through JD, and this person had five years experience in a law firm or five years experience in a tech field. And it can be really intimidating. On top of that, you have the pressure of getting a job, right? <laughs> so I'm not fortunate enough to have like someone else pay for my law school education. I had to take out loans which means I have to find a job at the end of graduation so that I can pay that back and not have to struggle with debt. But also the other thing is like, again, person of color coming in, not seeing that diversity, not seeing anyone that looks like me, not seeing um, anyone with my shared experiences. That. The other thing is that you're competing for grades. Everyone wants to get the A, but you're not going to get the A necessarily just because you're a smart student. You have to be better than the other 50 or 60 people in the room, which makes it again, harder to do well sometimes and I feel like I'm making law school sound like it's a nightmare and sometimes it is it truly is I don't want to say it's not but if this is what you really want to do then it's good to know that going in that it's going to be difficult I don't care if you went to Harvard and you're going to like a not t14 law school law school is really difficult like you could have been at Oxford and law school will be challenging for you it does not matter where your undergrad was or what your experiences were before going it's just a really different experience and I think any law student you talk to, even professors, will say the same thing. 
So that's why it's important to have sort of survival techniques and mechanisms going into it so that you're better prepared and don't have a nightmare day every single day of the week, but maybe like once a week. Uh, you made, made a lot of great points and I think we'll kind of roll through them sequentially here. You mentioned this kind of idea of imposter syndrome. Folks who've had five or six years experience, you went K through JD. So you're a 21, 22 year old kid, which is what I, which is what I did. 22 years old, my classmates were 30, 31. They were, they were going to bar, they weren't going to bar review. They were like going home to their kids in their house or whatever else. And I wonder, could you speak to that a little bit, imposter syndrome and how to navigate that in law school? What is actually effective for you to kind of feel like you are up to speed and you belong, belong here amongst these peers? Yeah. So imposter syndrome, I didn't think I experienced it in undergrad, honestly. And that was because I worked really hard, I felt like. And you know, it was kicking butt. And when I got to law school, it kind of hit me all at once, right? Because again, like I mentioned, I met people who are the most nicest and wonderful people. So it wasn't that they said anything to me um, directly, but it was just like looking at their resume, right? Somebody had five years of experience in the tech field. Somebody was like, my mom's a lawyer, my dad's a lawyer. So I knew I want to be a lawyer. And you're like, wait, I had to navigate this on my own. Am I even good enough to be here? You start to question sort of your skills and your competency, which is which is toxic because you don't have to, right? You're there for a reason. Like you're, the school wanted you for whatever reason it was. They saw something in you and they gave you a seat. But it's really hard to remind yourself of that every single day when let's say, for example, you bomb a cold call. You thought you read that case 500 times. You highlighted the rule, the facts. You knew everything. But when you get cold called, it can be really scary, right? Your professor is, I don't know, I had a professor for contracts who worked at the UN and was like a I don't know, like a really great attorney and a person of color who I looked up to, but I bombed my first cold call with her. Like I didn't do that great. And I felt like, oh no, like I disappointed her. So that kicks in then too, right? Like I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't. And so that imposter syndrome of, uh oh, this school made a mistake of having me here sucked. And then you see the other person after you like do really well on their cold call. Like they knew the facts inside and out. They knew the dissent. They knew the concurring opinion. And you feel like, wow, I can't even memorize the rule statement and this person's over here memorizing like three different opinions. So I think it's just that experience over and over again, right? Cause it's gonna happen multiple times in different classes. And so I think it's that experience that really makes it tough. Yeah, and, and I think that kind of addressed what's the high level stress of being in law school in general. I'd like to know more about kind of the day-to-day, -day. like what it, what is a cold call? What do you do on a Wednesday afternoon, class-wise, homework-wise? Because I, I talk to a lot of folks who are about to apply to law school as well, and maybe they'll be listening to this, and they ask me, like, what did you major in in law school? And you kind of have to let them know, I didn't have a major, I did have some interests, but we'd like to hear from your perspective day-to-day -day and what that looks like. Yeah, so I'll just touch on the major point. Um, so I was that annoying kid in fourth grade who knew I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> So I was like, all right, I want to be a lawyer. Like I was really inspired by the civil rights movement. I was like, I want to do it. So when I got into law school or when I got into undergrad, I was like poli-sci, right? Like that's kind of the way to go. I didn't like poli-sci because I thought it wasn't something that I was super interested in. But also law school doesn't require a major. You can be a bio major and go to law school. You could be a women's studies major and go. It does not matter. But I, I picked legal studies at Berkeley and I thought that was really helpful for me. And I enjoyed it a lot. So as long as you have a major do well in undergrad, like it doesn't matter necessarily. So some people know they want to go to law school right away. Some people know like two years out, right? Because they somehow worked at a firm or somehow just got experience and thought, okay, this works for me. So don't worry about your major. Worry about your grades, but don't worry about your major for law school. Um, the other thing of a day-to-day. -day. So I'm a 3L right now. Um, 
which means I'm not doing what I used to do as a one out. And I'm like being really honest about that. I think I worked my butt off and now I'm going to enjoy it some time off. Um, but as a one L, it was like really hard because I think I like would wake up, go to class, come home and just read. And I used Quimby, I think, starting my first semester of law school and Quimby, which is a resource which makes um, cases a little bit more digestible to read. So that means that like they kind of condense the main facts, the main uh, points of the opinion and the rule statement. Nobody's going to tell me not to use Quimby. Like anyone came up to me and was like, you're using Quimby? I was like, yeah, like work smarter, not harder kind of a thing in law school. Like you have 50 pages of reading to do every single day. You're like, I'm not going to sit here and read 50 single pages every single day. Highlight. That just didn't work for me. That works for some people. And I'm being honest, it didn't work for me. So I Quimby cases and then I'd go back and like reread the case or just look at them and, and make sure I kind of understood the idea. And when I went to class, I paid attention. So if I wasn't on call, I paid attention, took really good notes, talked with my friends and made sure I kind of got the main points. But you really have to find that out for yourself, I think, and it takes time to do that. So maybe your second semester or your second quarter is when you really got the hang of studying. But I will say, if you can have study guides, definitely use them and make it a part of your day-to-day -day, like studying tactic because you don't want to be in your room for 12 hours a day studying. Like, I know that's, what law school is and I understand that completely but you have a life outside of that and don't let law school consume you because you're a multi-dimensional person and don't forget that when you're in law school yeah I, I really love that that last piece of advice about don't forget about all the other parts of your life because I think law school is such a bubble especially at Hastings or you're living on campus somewhere where you live pretty close to campus you walk to school you read with your friends you walk back home and you're also reading for your classes and if you don't do something else and make friends and see your family and whoever else, it does become really stressful because I think law school folks in general are type A and high, high strung a little bit, just in general. Um, so before we touch on that, like how do you balance the out of law school life? How do you get graded after all this work? So it sounds like every day you're going to read cases, you get cold call, which you mentioned is kind of the professor talking to you and asking you about the cases. How do you get graded after all that? Okay, so this is another bummy part law school. Welcome 101 law school um, is you have one final and that's kind of your entire grade. So it really does suck. Sometimes you have a midterm. I think one else um, like classes do have midterms as a three L and two L. I didn't really have them because I think they understand like by then you kind of get the hang of it. So you'll have one midterm usually worth maybe 10% of your grade just to kind of give you an understanding of what the final will look like. Then you have a final, which is worth up to 80 to 90%. Professors say participation counts, but like, you know, not enough to really like, I think at least make your grade much of a difference, but some professors make say like they'll bump you up or bump you down half a grade. Um, so you basically study for your final. You have all these rule statements, you outline, however you study. So if you outline, that's how you study. If you study because you look at someone else's outline and just memorize it, that's how you study. But at the end is just one final, which is really hard because I think even in undergrad, if I remember, I had like other assignments, right? Like I was a liberal arts major. So I had papers, I had projects, I may have presentations that kind of helped me. So my final was maybe 40 to 50%. And that was kind of manageable at that time. Cause I was like, all right, well, I can do really well in one half and then maybe do okay. But here your grade really is just that final, which again, adds that added pressure of oh shit, like I have to memorize everything from the beginning to now, which is like months of material. 
Um, usually professors will make it easier and say, I'm not gonna test you on A, B, C, and D, or I'm gonna test you on this particular topic. So kind of be prepared, but some professors don't. So that can be really hard as well. Yeah, and, and I would add, you mentioned Quimby. Another, another thing that I would add for kind of like finals prep was when I took the bar exam in California, I used something called smart bar prep. And I think it was like $100, $120. They had indexed every single question that was ever tested on the California bar exam back to 1990. And so if you went to the con law section, it would show you exactly the way the rule needs to be written to get full points. But then they would also do like one sheet, a cheat sheet. So it would have all the rule statements in bullet point form. So you could just take that and walk around with it. I, had, I wished I had used that during law school because that really condensed what was important and kind of sifted through the messiness. Um, and you mentioned obviously having to read every single day and taking notes and highlighting. It's hard to latch onto what's really valuable by the end of the semester. So I, I would just add that into, um, but we've kind of talked about what aspects make law school stressful. I think we've gone, gone at that from a number of different angles. So I think our listeners understand that if you go to law school, you're going to have to be on point about your reading, have to be paying attention in class and taking notes. But what makes it fun, I guess? How do, how do you manage your mental health? How do you make it enjoyable for you? Yeah. So for me, I am a really extroverted personality. Like I like to go do things and be with my friends and just experience life outside of law school, which is hard to do, especially if you're a one Also, like, trust me, if you're listening as a one and you're like, I have no time. I get it. But honestly, sometimes just turning up the music in your apartment and just randomly dancing in your apartment is great. Like if you don't have time for a 30 minute workout, but you have time for just five minutes of just pure fun, do that. But I think the other thing is finding your community. So I think the best thing about law school right now is I have so many Punjabi Sikh friends that I honestly didn't have in undergrad because I just felt like I would, you know, didn't really make those friends or didn't put in that effort that now I feel like I'm really happy being at Hastings because one, it is a really diverse school. So I got really lucky. And two, I made an effort to have friends. I made an effort to find my community and law school kind of forces you to do that because there will be people that will judge you based on your grades, based on your internships, based on your experience coming into law school and put a really big value on that. So then you're like, wait, you know, if you're someone from K through JD or you're someone who didn't have that experience, it can be really like isolating. But the best part of law school is you can find the people who feel the exact same way. And it just comes from conversations and joining clubs. I am doing ECVC stuff after I graduate. Never in a million years did I thought I was gonna enter like a science or tech field because I don't have a bachelor's of science. I thought I wasn't good at science. Like it just wasn't something I thought was interesting to me. But when I started going to the clubs and meetings and just meeting attorneys who were doing this work, I was like, wow, this is super interesting. Like I'm going to be representing or working with clients who are making the best gadgets and saving lives and inventing things that make our lives better. So that was a really good thing about law school that I stepped outside of my comfort zone to find something that now I'm actually really, really excited to be practicing. Like I can't wait to take the bar and be done with school and be working, which I know sounds crazy, but it's like, I'm really excited to be doing that. So yeah. And that, that's coming up, I think, for our listeners, 3L year is kind of when you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Like you mentioned 1L. Uh, 1L is stressful for everybody because ev everyone in the country essentially takes the same six or seven core classes, um, contracts law, constitutional law sometimes, property law, torch law. Um, and 2L and 3L are more elective-based, and you got to get to find your voice, find your community, see what you enjoy in this space. 
How did you go about finding this big law position in the uh, in the VC space? Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> how do I start? One, I didn't. So grades. I don't know where my grades are. Um, I'm gonna say that straight up. I stopped looking at my grades second first semester of two L year. So I knew my grades were one L because that's everyone checked and they were like, "Ooh, we're gonna like find out what rank we are." And I just was like, "Okay, cool, I'll check too." And I also was transferring, so I went from right UW to Hastings. So I kind of had to know like, okay, what were my chances of going? But and you also have to remember, as a one L, my summer was COVID. Like that's when a lot of internships and things were being like shut down, and it was a weird, really, really weird time. So I went through law school. I think in a time where not many people can like say they have that same experience. Um, and so that meant OCIs, which are uh, you know on-campus uh, interviews for big law firms were pushed till January, right? So that meant, oh great, I have another semester to really improve my grades or oh shit, I have another semester to keep my grades, right? It's like either way for some people. And I thought like law school was really toxic and stressful because I didn't go into law school thinking I wanted to be the top of my class. That wasn't really my goal. I was like, I just wanna get a job and make some friends and have a good time and like step outside of my comfort zone. So two all year hit and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna look at my grades. Like, I don't care. I really could give, like, I don't wanna use explicit but I really just stopped caring because I felt like my value can't be tied to grades. Like I have so much more to offer to the world and so do you, whoever's listening to your grades are not that big of a deal and they shouldn't like make you feel less than. So I stopped looking at grades, but I had to do OCI because I needed a job and I knew ECVC was something I wanted to do. So what I ended up doing was looked at OCI, looked at all the different firms that were available that were hiring for ECVC or just corporate work in general too, because the other thing is sometimes you start a law firm in one practice group, but you're more than like, the firms are more than happy to move you if that's really what you want, right? If you want to do a different practice group. So I thought, okay, corporate is also really good. All right, so I ended up applying, but I really, really wanted to be at Perkins Coie. So shout out to anyone who's listening to Perkins Coie. I really wanted to be there because I spoke to an attorney there named Jamie, who was super nice. And she mentored me up until this point about what things I should do or like classes I could take. And she connected me with a bunch of people. And I felt like, okay, this is a place I can see myself practicing because I didn't even get a job with her, but she's already helping me out so much. And that meant, okay, if I want to be here and let's say my grades weren't the best, what's another way to get that job? I networked. So I attended every other event that Perkins probably had. I signed up for a mailing list. I read their like newsletter. You know, I spoke to someone who um, was friends with people at Perkins. And so he was like, talk to her, talk to her, like, listen, like connect. And that's what I did. And then when the interview ended up happening um, for OCI, which is only 15 minutes, I like knew Perkins like the back of my hand. I knew what ECVC work they did. I knew the partner, like what he did. And I researched him and I researched just like other attorneys there who spoke about it. I knew that they are really like diversity heavy as well, which I love. And so that was another topic. And I was kind of myself, which meant I was like trying to be funny, <laughs> trying to connect with the partner and it worked. And the same thing during my callback, I researched all the people that were going to be interviewing me put in a, a lot of work um, preparing for answers. I did like four or five mock interviews with attorneys and you know um, the CDO, which is your career office development because I really, really wanted this job at this firm. And I think that's why I'm there. I mean, I don't know because they didn't tell me why I'm there, but I'm thinking that's why I'm there. And I was really passionate about ECBC stuff. So I wanted to help clients. I don't want to really work, work and work for big companies. I wanted to work for like everyday people who were just creating things that were making our lives better, 
Um, and I just ended up getting it. So I don't know where my grades are. So if anyone's like, oh my God, I'm not the top 10%. You don't have to be, you really, really don't. You just have to worry a little bit harder maybe in the other aspects of like networking, mock interviews and be really passionate about what you're doing. But you don't have to be the top 10% because trust me, I don't know my grades, but I'm sure I'm not in the top 10%, which is okay because my grades don't like make me a better or less person. So that's fine. Yeah, I, I love that advice. Uh, the grades part and also the networking. And I think networking becomes such a buzzword, obviously. When you enter into law school, everyone's going to use that word. And the advice I usually give is that every single person you encounter matters. And then not necessarily to reach out to the partner or the GC or like shoot your shot at the most powerful person in the world. It's the CD, the people in the CDO, your friends who are in your classes, who you're building community with, and you know maybe the paralegals or the junior associates at your law firms. And just a story from my personal experience, I came across a paralegal. I had a, I was summering at Baker Botts in 2017, and I had a call last week with uh, the San Jose Sharks, who's one of our like our sports company, sports entities, obviously in the Bay Area for our Bay Area listeners. Um, and the paralegal recognized me. She was like, I remember you when you were a summer, so happy we're getting to work together. And she like really helped me out and went above and beyond because we had a personal relationship. And I think that's the same is true for networking. And to your point, you went to all the events, you were yourself, you connected on a personal level. That's the advice I would give people too, is to come as yourself um, because you're not gonna be able to change that later on when you come in these spaces. And it is a numbers game for a lot of these industries. I know in the sports and entertainment world, the big law world is kind of similar where you, you might message a hundred people and only five respond. Um, but that's still a big victory because that's five more than you had initially. So kind of pushing through that discouragement initially to just continue to reach out. Um, one of the questions- yeah, One point about the networking is reach out to anyone and everyone that you think could be of interest. So don't just do big law. Like I didn't, I wanted to be at Perkins, but it wasn't just my only option, right? I spoke to people at midsize and small firms too. Um, and the way to kind of do that is just find someone who goes to your law school went or your undergrad or whatever and speak to them. But don't just think that big law is the only answer. There are many other really rewarding jobs, but network. I think I had like once or twice a week I was meeting with an attorney when I was looking for jobs as a one on two L. And that was really helpful because you'll learn something, right? They, they may not give you a job and that was never my goal to be like, oh, I want to work with you. So that's why I'm talking to you. It was kind of like, show me what I could do now to be where you are, even if we were a junior associate. Cause I was like, I want to learn. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just felt like they had such great advice. So that's just another thing about networking there. And I think, you know, having a long-term perspective on things like uh, first point networking laterally, as much as you network upwards. So do you, do you want making friends and having connections? You never know how life unfolds. I'm about three years in almost. And I have friends who are now VPs in-house or they're, you know, rising up the ranks and you never know, you and I might be on the opposite ends of some contract or call in a couple of years. That's just how the legal industry is, especially in the Bay and focusing on the process rather than the results, like you said, where you're asking questions to kind of improve your own iterative um, legal skill set rather than trying to get the job or get the end goal. Um, one of the questions I get a lot, especially from fellow South Asian attorneys and folks who are first generation is thinking about this idea of, you know, law school is a privilege, being a lawyer is a privilege. I want to do work that's impactful to people. I want to do work that helps people. And oftentimes that's social justice work, working in the ACLU, criminal law. And then there's big law on the other end where 
a lot of times people think, okay, this is not going to be impactful. But to your point, a lot of us have had to take out loans or pay off debt. How do you think about that decision? And how do you view your impact on the world through through the big law lens or however else? Yeah, so, okay, there's no video, it's all sound, but I'm like really smiling because that's exactly my experience. So I, you know, got inspired by the civil rights movement, right? Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, like all that kind of stuff where it was like fighting for equality. That's what I want to do. You know, I was that kid that was like, this isn't right. This is wrong. Like this is the political system is corrupt. I was in middle school doing that. I was, again, that annoying kid. All right. So anyone who went to middle school and high school with me was like, Jag was super annoying and into that. But then I got into law school and one, I really didn't like legal research and writing. Like I tried and I was like, I just can't do this for the rest of my life. I can't sit here and just research, you know, again, extroverted personality. And it wasn't that I didn't have experience. I was at the public defender's office, like most of my summers in college. And I really enjoyed it because I felt like I was giving back to people who didn't have the resources to find an attorney. And I love to do discovery and I love taking client intake, but law school teaches you another side of the law. So sometimes, you know, you have this experience and it shifts. And I felt like a traitor a little bit, right? Like I'm a brown girl. I should be doing public interest stuff. I should be doing criminal justice reform or civil rights stuff. But I realized like if I'm not good at legal research and writing and I don't enjoy it, no matter how passionate I am about helping people, I won't be good at my job. Like I'll maybe be doing mediocre work or I'll just be doing it to do it just because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So I started again, like going to different clubs and, and learning about the tech field. And yeah, I was the same person that thought big law is evil. Like, oh no, you're helping Microsoft make more money or you're helping Google make more money, right? These people and these products that are invented do harm people of color and they do impact us negatively. And I'm speaking saying us because I'm again, like a brown girl and it, they do impact us negatively. So I was like, all right, well, what's the best sort of middle ground? Where can I one, make money so I can pay my loans off because it's also not helpful for the larger community if I'm in debt and I'm struggling and I'm also doing a job I don't like like that just sounds like a mental health disaster so startups it was startups and startups can be you know up and down where you meet people who are really mean and rude to you and just want to you know your legal services so they can make their next billion dollar startup idea but then there are so many people and like I know a client that I met this past summer who is doing such great work he employs incarcerated individuals at his, you know, in his startup. He makes the best coffee ever. Like that's his product. And I love it. And I was like, you know what? He's such a cool person. I want to work with more people like that. And maybe I'll get one out of a hundred, but even that one person I can help who's making a difference is super impactful. So you really just have to find joy in what you do because you can make an impact anywhere. The other point is I'll be making money. My firm will be making money. I can always give back, right? I can always do scholarships. I can always give back to my community. When I'm sitting in a room, and this has happened to me multiple times, where I am the only Sikh Punjabi woman sitting there, or I'm the only person of color. When I raise an issue, it's important. It's heard, right? And I get to be in spaces where there's so much power that you're like, whoa, there's so much money being talked about, so much privilege, but I can use my privilege and I can use that opportunity to make a really big difference. And you think it's small, but it's not because I'm in law school now. And anytime I see a brown girl, I'm always like going up to her and be like, hey, do you need help? Do you need me to do mock interviews with you? Do you need resources? And those little things really do make a big impact. So I think it's about finding your purpose, knowing why you came to law school. And then that idea and those ways of making a difference will change. But if you as a core person really believe that, you'll find a way.
Yeah, I like that. And I think the point that you made about there's so much power and money and influence in these rooms. Like I've worked with nonprofits and kind of community organized type uh, type groups, but we put in a lot of labor and time and effort to raise 20,000 to send some kids to a, a club or an event or whatever else. And in those rooms, someone can wave a hand and sign a check for 50 grand and it won't cause, it won't even create a dent in their checkbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, just as much as we need people on the front lines, organizing and advocating for people on a personal level, we do need people like you and like p- folks who are similarly situated in these places of control and money and power and influence um, to shape the worldview in a different perspective. And I think that has just as much of an impact as other types of work. You're going to yeah, say like, Yeah, yeah, just going back to that, right? When I talk about my culture or I talk about being sick or I talk about being South Asian in a room where no one's ever heard those words, I, I can explain like what that means and what how important that is for me. So like my podcast, I talk about it there. I use the opportunity to talk about not just being in law school, but, you know, there was a farmer's movement that was happening in India. I took that opportunity to do that. So it's really about knowing what why you came to law school what your purpose is and then you can always do that wherever you go like you don't have to be at a civil rights so you don't have to be like at the ACLU it's great if that's your passion you land a job and you enjoy it awesome like I'm really happy for those people who stick to what they wanted when they first came to law school but not everyone's fortunate to do that and so sometimes you have to just tell yourself like okay I'm going to be in a room and so if I have an opportunity where my firm is giving back to let's say a cause I'm going to bring that up I'll be like hey like as a sick you know there are these other organizations can we donate to them or can we like host an event for them can we do this can we do that which is just as helpful as somebody else who's putting that event together yep and I think in this conversation we've kind of touched on the post-law school life and what it, what it might look like as far as purpose and money and what kind of roles you might take on. I'd like to bring it back to law school for a little bit. Um, We talked about how impactful law school can be to your mental health. It's stressful. What do you do to improve your mental health besides those uh, spontaneous dance sessions that you mentioned? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, So what do I do? I commit community. So really like what's important to me is my community of friends and family and like stepping outside of law school, I think can be super important is knowing that on the week like this is another reason I came back to the Bay Area because I was in Seattle I didn't really have my friends and family then I realized like how much I missed them and how much I I needed them my first year of law school so I think having a good set of community and your friends is super helpful because my parents do not ask me about like what is indemnity clauses they're not asking me about how do you form a contract right they're asking me how is your day how are you doing oh did you read the news or like my dad's really into gardening and so it's like all right you know come out here and help me plant these trees which is great it's like you don't even think about law school you don't even think about what's happening um you know 20 minutes down the road because you're doing something that's completely different and you get to spend time with your friends the other thing is I really got into journaling because I felt like that was super helpful for me. Um, never did an undergrad again, just like kind of didn't need to do it because I felt like I was fine. But coming into law school, law school is hard and stressful, but the added stress of other like life is not gone, right? Like other things that happen in life aren't going to go away. You're going to have family members that are going to get sick, pass away. You're going to have issues with your friends, your significant others, your kids those don't go away. They honestly get sometimes exacerbated by law school stress. And so it's helpful for you to have some time to yourself. So 20 minutes 
you know, in the day where you're just writing or journaling, sometimes I try to read something before I go to bed that's like really positive so that I kind of go to bed with good thoughts in my mind or just like time to um, calm down. The other thing is therapy. Like I have a standby therapist that I go to. Okay. So I have somebody that I can go to when I really need it. Um, I'm in law school and therapy is really expensive. So it's not something I can do every week. Um, and I really wanted to find a South Asian, you know, therapist, which again, it's like sometimes your insurances may not cover those, but if you can find a therapist in your like coverage for, um, insurance, like go for it, that there's nothing wrong in that. I would go to her every week if I could, because I need that. I need that one, two hours a week, whatever it may be to just talk about what's happened and my expectations and stress. Cause like I said, finding a job and, and being in law school is super stressful and you're always constantly telling yourself you're not good enough so sometimes you need someone outside of your friends and family to go to so I go to Tanya when I can when I need to to just say hey like this is what's happening and this is what I'm doing and she's giving me a lot of coping mechanism techniques which one of them is journaling and the other is like you know reading or doing something that's bringing me joy that's not just law school but there's nothing wrong in, in doing that there's nothing wrong in going to therapy and taking care of yourself because like I plan on going much further in my life, right? Like I'm just starting with my career and I want to really push the envelope and I want to do big things. And I can only do that if I take care of myself. So therapy is one way that I, I do that for myself. I, yeah, thank, thank you for that. I think that's important to highlight for folks that you have to be active about your mental health, that it takes those intentional steps, like you mentioned, journaling, therapy, spending time with your family and friends outside of the law school bubble. Um, because law school does drag you down in a lot of ways. So in order to kind of buoy yourself up, you need to do that. So um, a few questions to wrap up. One, you mentioned you have a lot of big dreams and things that you want to do. I'd like to hear more about that if you're comfortable sharing it. What would be on your ideal roadmap? What would be, what what does success look like for you sitting from your law school position, looking out five, 10 years? Okay, um, that's, that's a good question because I've been asking myself that question every day too. Um, that happens as a 3L, you have like a little bit of an existential crisis of what am I doing with my life? Um, well, one is I really want to be good at my job. Like I really want to be that ECBC lawyer that's like killing it, whatever it may be. If I may be good at writing contracts or maybe good at evaluating them, whatever that may be, I want to be really good at my job. I really hope to make partner um, where I am because again, I feel like my purpose is to be in rooms where I can bring my community with me. Um, I hope to, you know, keep expanding my podcast and moving it, like making it bigger, making it into something more than just a podcast and, you know, really investing in companies, investing in people in the tech space as well. Because again, I don't think there's a lot of like Punjabi women. So, you know, there's a lot of South Asian people and there's a lot of men in tech who are South Asian, but you don't really get to see a lot of women, whether, you know, you're South Asian or, or not. And I feel like I want to be in that space and I want to take, I don't want to say take over, but I want to like, I want to be there. Like I want to be in the center helping make decisions and helping companies grow, whether that continue to be as an attorney or as a consultant. But I think it's important that tech companies know how much their products really impact people and, and how they can make it better. And um, again, just being like a constant voice for my community, uh, speaking at events or just helping the younger generation kind of like feel more comfortable taking up that space too. Cause I feel like for me, I'm comfortable taking up space, but not everyone is. And I, and I want to help people do that. And so, so yeah, that's kind of where I am right now and, and what I hope to do later in life. Yep. 
And, and what, what are some of the things that I guess law school has given you and helped you the most in order to kind of shape that dream a little bit? Yeah, I think law school really put me out of my comfort zone. Um, because like I said, I didn't think I'd be doing tech. I didn't think I'd be doing ECVC stuff. And so law school, for all the bad, for the good, it really taught me that I can do something if I just put my mind to it and that I can be good at tech stuff, even though I don't have that background or I didn't have that sort of passion when I was younger. Uh, law school made me find a really great group of friends that now I consider to be like my sisters, my brothers, and people that I can really go to because I didn't have that, I felt like, when I was an undergrad. And law school made me, I think, a more resilient person because it really breaks you down. But if you choose to let it, you will stay down. But if you don't, you will rise to the occasion. I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's super, super true that no matter what happens, I think now I'm like, I can handle anything now that I've gone through three years of law school. Yeah, I think just to highlight for our audience, a lot of, a lot of what you've mentioned comes back to community and people who allow you to come back to yourself and have the energy to be driven and extroverted. But you need that kind of refuel from people who are not going to ask you what your grades are and what your uh, job aspirations are. So I think uh, the last question, we have a new tradition on the podcast that we started a couple episodes ago, and this might be a surprise question, so you can take your time to think about it, is what are you reading right now or that you've read in the past that you'd recommend to our audience? Oh, okay. This is really good. Um, So I'm also a co-host on a book club. Um, That's something I have to do with my part-time. But recently, what I ended up picking up actually um, is called Life Pass by Bile, and I'm don't know her last name, um, but it's called Life Pass, and she is the co-founder, or actually probably the founder of ClassPass. And so, if you anyone's ever used ClassPass, kind of knows what it is. Like you get to find different classes or things to do on this app, and sometimes there's coupons and stuff on there. But I've been reading that, and I really enjoy it because one, like I said, my community is really important to me. She's a South Asian woman who entered into the tech space. Um, unknowingly and has created a billion dollar startup. So that's a unicorn and sold it for that much. And and has now written this book about her experiences and how she kind of got there. And I think it's been really good for me to read because it's, you know, showing kind of like, sometimes you do have to do things in life where you're not really completely hundred percent happy at, but you kind of have to do them. And sometimes those things really do help you find your purpose in life. And I've definitely been enjoying it. I think I recommend it to anyone out there, whether you're South Asian or not, to read something like that to kind of show you that it's possible to get where you want to go, but you do have to ask yourself those hard questions. And I've only gotten like 40 or 50 pages in, but I am really liking it so far. That, that's awesome. So I'll put that in the bio as well, as well as your podcast. I think that's a great, great book. I haven't finished it all the way either, but um, she's like a superstar entrepreneur and deeply versed in the tech space. So thank, thank you for your time today. For our listeners, you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, on Apple, Apple Podcasts, and see you next time.